Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Winsor. Today, I'm talking to Shikayla Forbes-Bell. In 2016, Shikayla became the first black person to earn a master's degree in fashion psychology. She went on to build the popular online platform Fashion is Psychology, which is a leading destination for insights and research into the topic. As well as collaborating with many brands, Shikayla has been featured across the media, everywhere from Vogue to Galdem to The Guardian. Her first book, Big Dress Energy, is out now. In this episode, we talk about the transition she had to make from academic writing to creative nonfiction and about making rigorous academic research much more accessible to the everyday reader. We also talk about some of the difficult decisions she had to make in order to make time to write this book. Big Dress Energy is out now. There's a link in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Shakela. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, Penny. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about Big Dress Energy. Um, first of all, actually, can I just say the title is just so brilliant, so spot on. Thank you. Did the title was the did the title come first or did the book come first? You know out? what? I cannot take any credit for the title. <gasps> it was my lovely editor Bernadette. She came up with it. So we were going back and forth about the title for so long. Like it, it was literally untitled project for ages. Um, I think it started off as being dressed to express. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that kind of summed up nicely, but everybody felt like that was just boring. And I think we all agree that that was a bit dated. And one of my chapters is called New Look Who This. Yeah. And then that was like one of the things that the editors loved. And I was like, no, that doesn't feel like the book. Like it's not just about reinventing yourself. Um, mm-hmm. That's just very small aspect of it. And I feel like a lot of fashion and style books is all all about buy new things and completely change your style in order to feel good and that is absolutely not what my ethos is so one time I was in Tesco and I remember I got this I got an email from my from my editor she was like Shakira what about big just energy and then we could have the BDE very tongue-in-cheek I said I literally was in the vegetable aisle I put down my basket I said this is it like that is my title you know when you just feel that spark yeah I yeah. felt so happy I finally felt like it was a real thing after I got the title so shout out to Benedict um for going up with that it is it is so great and it's interesting actually because I I work with with clients on non-fiction book proposals proposals and this title for me sums up exactly what a title should do yeah. it tells me what I'm getting but it does it in a tone that completely encapsulates the tone of your book like I love all your chapter titles they're so fun Um, but they also tell me exactly what I'm going to get so it's like that perfect combination of kind of content and tone and your personality and also I mean big dress energy is such a great play on expressions as well yeah thank you so much I find it the the chapter titles were really like an experiment for me because I come from an academic background so my oh my god the first iteration of this book was read like a textbook I remember my literary agent at the time was like "Mm, you need to go back to the drawing board like this is not quite it um, because that's what you're used to like you're just used to writing very formally um, you know everything has to be backed up like god forbid you have an original thought of your own when you're writing academically so it was really hard and it took me a long time to just realize that 
it's okay to put myself in there. Yeah. And I think anybody that knows me knows that, yeah, I, I like to joke around, I don't take myself too seriously, but I do like really make sure that everything I talk about is grounded in science and grounded in facts. So merging the two was tricky, but I think it came out what well, I'm happy with the way it came out. I mean, this is one of the reasons I was really desperate to speak to you about this book, because apart from the fact I love I love reading about fashion and I love reading about clothes. Um, I find it a deeply, deeply interesting topic, but it was exactly that crossover and tone between the academic and the kind of um, personality and conversational style that takes academic, really rigorous academic work and makes it accessible to the everyday person. And one of the things I loved in the book that you mentioned this idea that that no matter who you are, whether you work for a luxury brand or you work in construction, you are neither above or below fashion. I loved that concept so much. And I feel like this book encapsulates those two aspects, that really the rigor and also um, the accessibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just think, um, sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say like a lot of the times when people talk about fashion, they think about it with a capital F, right? It's like very much the runways, the buyers, the shows, mm-hmm. like the elites, luxury brands. But I think people don't realize that you have the smaller, if you have the way that, you know, we wear our clothes, the things we buy, the brands that we're aligned to or not, um, the way we see things and are inspired, um, the way clothes can sometimes make us feel negatively as well and positively like it all has a massive impact and unless you belong to a nudist society I say then you know you need to understand that it's more than just the aesthetics you know it has a massive power over you clothes can be used as a tool and it's something that you can control and shape for the better and shape for your well-being as well so I'm just glad that yeah, I was given the opportunity to make it accessible, like I said, because like these academic papers, they are, they're not only hard to read, even if you get the opportunity to read them, like Mm. that is something that's very rare. Like I was having a really tough time getting access to a lot of these papers. And it's something that I really don't like as well with academia that you'd have to pay or, and, and oftentimes the people that are getting paid, they're not even the academics themselves. If you go straight to the source, they'll more than likely be glad to send you their thesis or send you their, their paper because they want it to be read. They want it mm. to have some use and purpose and how useful is it just in a journal that no one can read or access. So yeah, I'm really, that was my main goal to just have yeah. it accessible and digestible as well. Well, let's go back a little bit to like, you are a fashion fashion psychologist. Tell me a little bit like what, what exactly is fashion psychology? How would you define it? So I would define fashion psychology as kind of just peeling back the layer when it comes to fashion style and beauty and just going beneath the surface to ask those questions that I think are really over overlooked so it's looking at research that talks about the way clothes impact you cognitively um, behaviorally emotionally um, looking at the way impressions change depending on what people are wearing that's something that was my thesis um, topic looking at the intersection between race clothes and first impressions Um, I think culturally as well we underestimate how much clothes have a significant impact on people and their way of life Um, we've seen protests around the world recently about wearing the hijab and we've had hands off my hijab protests in France and you know those different concepts there especially in New York as well we had the millionaire million hoodie march and looking at clothes from a political aspect as well Mm. how they can be used to shape conversations change the way we interact with people um on a more um on a like 
everyday level as well, looking at how people connect with others based on how they um, connect with what they're wearing as well. When we see people just similarly to us, we see them as part of our social grouping. We see them as more sociable. We want to get to know them, how people react to others based on what they're wearing. Do they Are they wearing these luxury labels? How does that impact the way you see them, the way you interact with them? People mm-hmm. are more pious when they see others, when they have these big labels and they see that they have more access to resources like how that changes your concepts of people depending on what they're wearing and then again like looking beyond just clothes and thinking about skin hair and beauty and looking at you know the interaction between your well-being and your external appearance there's so much research that talks about things like stress or even happiness and then different hormones that they produce and how they change your appearance and how they change the way your skin looks how it feels how its ability to repair itself there's just so much more to fashion style and an appearance than we are aware of and often mm-hmm. the way we're fed it as well it's very superficial and I think that's the big part that's missing in this conversation about sustainability in this conversation about beauty and all these big topics in general we're missing that individual aspect we're missing the impact that these things have on us on an individual level Mm. understanding that how if you have that understand like if you have that deeper relationship with your clothes with your parents with the way you choose to present yourself if you do things more intentionally then you'll be less likely to jump on these trends you'll be less likely to engage in throwaway culture or buy these fast fashion brands or act in ways that is often going against your internal beliefs you know generally we all studies show that a lot of people you know they're invested in sustainable initiatives they believe that you know sustainability is something to care about but the way that they're acting the way they're consuming is going against that you have that cognitive Mm. dissonance there so if you give the people the knowledge the resources to think about their behavior and their choices in a in a deeper in a way that they can get more value out more value out of personally then I think they'll change their habits inconsequentially and they won't have to think about the global impact of what they're doing which people can often find they're very removed from they don't want to think about the people who are suffering countries and countries away like I think oftentimes people are so busy with their day-to-day lives they're often thinking about themselves um so if you can almost trick people as well to start thinking okay if you don't if you don't have the capacity to think in this way, or if it's easy to just shut up those videos talking about clothing weights and all these things like that, think about what you can personally gain from living a minimalist life. Think about what you can gain from having this deep relationship, from re-wearing these clothes, the nostalgia benefits, all of that. And then I think that's a step forward in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we haven't explored yet. So I think it's so true and such an interesting topic because I think it's very easy. And I was thinking about this as I was thinking about what I wanted to discuss with you, this idea that often um, I, you know, once upon a time worked in fashion photography before I moved into interior photography. I think interiors has some similar problems that fashion has in terms of consumption and things. Um, But this idea that thinking deeply about these things um, isn't important, I think is a problem that that, that we have in our culture in a way that um, because we think of that as, oh, that, that kind of vacuous sort of industry over there, um, you know, we should just not think about what we're wearing at all. But that like goes against so much of what makes us human, as you discuss in this book. You know, these are really, really deeply human instinctual things about how we assess people by the way they look and how we present ourselves and how we use clothing as a part of adornment to kind of explore our identity as well. Um, did, did you ever feel um, 
in the last sort of you know six years or so that you've you've been deep into this work, did you ever feel that um, it's treated very in a very gendered way um, and in a way that sort of um, I guess um, you know sort of unimportant because it's it's something that's considered feminine in a way. Um, you know what? I don't know if if I thought about the intersection between thinking of fashion in a gendered way and how it might be seen as unimportant. I know for me, when I was first doing fashion psychology, I'll never forget, I went to a few careers fairs because I was like, what am I going to do with this degree? Like, nobody knows what this is. It's very niche. And I got a terrible response. It was very much like, what what is this? Like, what can you do? Like, this is, I don't get it. And it was really hard to convey that. Even from a few like family members, it was like, oh, well, like what, what, how are you going to make money from that? Like that was just such a big thing. And I remember when I posted my graduation clip and I talked about being like the only black person in the world to graduate with this degree because it was so new and I had taken this risk and I was really wanting to open up this area to the public. And as much as I got a wave of support, I got a ton of trolls, like so many people saying I was going to end up working at McDonald's, um, that, you know, what a useless degree like of course she's the first like nobody would never do that like I did get a lot of pushback um I do maybe the fact that of course I am a woman as well doing this and people consider women in generally like what they're doing is very frivolous especially in the realm of psychology and academia there like in social psychology I I already think is kind of on the low rung in terms of like importance within that field so taking it a step further and looking specifically at fashion and appearance I think that was like oh what is this like you're not very credible um so I always make sure that everything I do is is backed up by research is backed up by papers as much as I like to put my own spin and my own insights and use my understanding um of like the cultural impacts and like just my general understanding of the, the industry, um, I still try to make sure that I can back it up. Um, and I think that's what keeps me, that's what kind of protects me from like thinking about all the naysayers and all the yeah. and the and everything that I've experienced, just knowing that there are more people out there who want to absorb this knowledge. And if they have any issues with what I'm saying, I'm like, Here, here's the paper. You can yeah. access it if you want in your own way yourself. Yeah. If you can access it. Um, and yeah, you're free, free, feel free to do that. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a challenge, but um, I'm just happy that people have the information. That's just my well, so on that note as well, um, you do do quite a lot of collaboration and and consultancy with brands. And was that something that you imagined you would do? And, and did you imagine or did you want right from the beginning to be able to translate this work for the everyday consumer as well as obviously to, you know, make a living from, from consulting and brands? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I had no idea what the hell I was going to do with this degree, like, I, it, I think when you're looking outside, it seems very like calculated. Like I did all of the steps. <laughs> it, it made no sense to me. Like when I graduated, I kind of felt like I was doing a lot with consumer psychology and that lends itself very easily into marketing. So I thought, yeah. okay, if you're going to do fashion, do marketing. That's just easy. It makes sense. Um, but the more I was going from job to job, the more I was able to utilize a bit of my psychological insights and utilize that in the, like the white papers and the trend reports I was creating. And I think I started to see the synergy a bit clearer, mm. but when, but when, even before I graduated, I had my blog um, fashion is psychology.com and I just did that out of pure 
just out of a hobby I just yeah. felt like this is cool people should know this and I just put it out there I had no intention of it being a thing like I really there was times I really wavered even during my degree and I thought oh, I need to I need to switch like I almost did switch it was mm. up to my sister actually that said don't be silly like this is good like this is for you like keep pushing so I just started putting the blog out there and then a couple of journalists started following me and asking me mm. questions and I at that point I had the theory that I just need to say yes to everything and yeah I literally had a year where I just said I'm going to say yes and see what happens so I just started saying yes 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 and then from the journalist speaking to me then I got a few brands coming in and asking to just get more insight and that's when I started working with oh sorry about that that's when I started working with um Afterpay and Clearpay and looking at all of their trend reports and giving their insights on like Gen Z and millennial shopping behaviors and trying to encourage more mindful shopping through their um, for their system and then worked with Maybelline um, next um, done some commentary for TV but this was all very like let's just say yes and yeah. see what happens um, and as much as I enjoy enjoy working with the brands and just get giving them. I think more insight into how they can connect more with their consumers. I feel like I'm really passionate about brands giving consumers the knowledge and tools so they can shop smarter. Mm -hmm. I hate the fact that I feel like brands have a lot of data, a lot of insights, resources at their disposal to understand how their consumers are shopping um, when it's maybe getting too much or, you know, just showing them more tools about how they can rewear the things that they buy, giving them options to mend. And I know a lot of brands are doing that now, which I think is great. And I think that only serves to create more brand loyalty, which I think is really going down these days. Um, But I think the consumer is kind of key and I obviously I'm a consumer as well so I mm-hmm. wanted something that could speak to me speak to my friends um some of my friends they're they're hoarders they you know they buy lots of parts and I'm always like telling them oh so I just wrote this book almost like I'm speaking to them yeah to my friends and I I do this just on the kind of yeah when I'm chilling when I'm relaxing when I'm speaking to my friends or speaking to my family it's just something that I've just always been naturally passionate about um so I'm glad I had the the venue to kind of do that outside of the blog um but yeah none of this was planned (laughs) (laughs) I love that from blog to book via many huge brands I love that um and can we talk about a bit more about what's in the book now the quiz I, I I loved doing the quiz. Um, it's such an incredible, vigorous quiz. I know that it says in there that you've adapted it from, from some research, but how did you go about um, constructing that? And maybe actually you could describe it briefly for the listeners. Yeah, so the Big Just Energy Quiz, it was adapted from this really cool paper I found um, from this psychologist. Um, God, off the top of my head, I believe she's based in Pakistan. And I remember I was DMing her, emailing her. I was like, please, I want to adapt this this, this, um, this quiz. It was basically trying to investigate people's relationships with their clothing. Um, and I thought it was really cool. It was in just very like niche paper um, in this niche journal. And I just wanted to kind of, elevate it a bit and just update it make it a bit more make it a bit more in depth because I feel like one thing people love is to just find out a bit more about themselves Mm -hmm. and I think that's what's very tricky when you're shopping and you're creating you're curating your wardrobe but a lot of the time you're doing it with no thought as to why um and I think that's what's missing people are 
acting and shopping and dressing thoughtlessly. And that's why they're like, oh, I don't really feel great in this. Or, oh, I wish my, I want to change my style, but I don't know what. It's because you're not giving yourself the time and space to do that introspection. And I thought the quiz was a great place to start. Mm-hmm. So it can really show people what level they are at. So it's, it goes from small to medium to big dress energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so big dress energy is when you really, from my description anyways, when you have that a complete and valued and like in-depth relationship with your style with your beauty with your wardrobe you know what your clothes are saying because you're intentional with what you choose and how you choose to wear it um you shop might you shop thoughtfully like you understand the brands that you're buying into why you're buying into them um you choose to rewear your clothes to mend them um your beliefs are aligned with you know the 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 brands that you buy into as well and you just understand how you want to feel and you utilize your clothes to kind of embolden that um and you just use them more as like a tool. So that's like big just energy. But small just energy is, I think, where a lot of people are at, where they don't really understand how to dress in a way that's authentic to them. They don't really know what they like outside of what media brands and like social media as well. It kind of tells them that they like. Um, they have a lot of things that they just don't wear. I talk about our clothes and our wardrobe representing different aspects of our identity, our past selves, our current selves, and our best versions of ourselves. And it's often the case where people are holding items that represent a discontinued identity, like a past version of themselves that was in a different space, was in a different career maybe, was at a different weight as well, and how all of these things impact our body image and such. So I feel like there's a lot of people who are at that small just energy state and it's about how you can just have more awareness I think a lot Mm. of I'm talking about people instinctively know but they don't think about necessarily so it's just really taking them through a process of asking themselves a lot of questions that's really what the book is getting you to ask yourself these questions and think oh okay I'm actually not doing this or I could benefit from doing this. Yeah. Like it's really not me saying do this or this, like wear this to look cool. That's not what it is at all. It's just getting you to think a bit deeply about what you're doing and what you're wearing. Well, this is, I think why one of the reasons I loved it so much because, um, because it gives you the time space opportunity to think very deeply about, about yourself and the way you express yourself Um, and it's so usable because obviously aside from that quiz there's also lots of questions to ask yourself throughout the chapters about how the material that you're talking about both the rigorous research as well as as how it works in in kind of everyday life how it applies to you how you can see it from your own perspective which I loved and I did the quiz and I do have big dress energy I'm very but you know what the thing is that I it was really fantastic for me to do because you think, oh, great. Okay. I got, I'm in the top rung, but then I realized there's two areas and I'm sure because, um, because Shikaya and I listeners can see each other. So I'm sure <laughs> she can guess what those two areas are just from <laughs> looking at me, which is, is it color. It's color yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, and it's beauty. Oh, and they're the two areas that I, I have often neglected, not completely color, but just, um, I, I definitely just have a couple of color splashy colors that I use, but I'm, I'm nervous about using color. Mm-hmm. but all the other areas I'm scoring really high but I loved doing that because I was like I, it's really it's really helpful for me to know areas that um 
that where where something doesn't feel quite right, but I don't quite know what it is. And yeah. and I did that quiz, and I'm like, oh, I know what the I know what it is because I am really intentional. I've been an intentional shopper since my early twenties. I love thinking deeply about what I wear. But yeah, we all have these little areas where we're perhaps neglecting a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, and I think. Yeah, one thing I love about the quiz, like, it doesn't matter, like, what style you are, like, no one's gonna, it's not about, like, whether people consider you to be very stylish or, like, very fashionable, like, it's not about that, it's about your personal relationship with your clothes, whatever that looks like, like, I would hate for someone to think that this book is about, you know, like, oh, you need to have these key items in your wardrobe like every woman should dress like this like no it's not prescriptive at all yeah um and yeah I'm glad that it helped you think about ways that you could yeah evolve and change but I want to also preface this by saying it's not mandatory like no of course I like like a rainbow but nobody doesn't has to but it's about making you realize okay if I wear lots of grays and blacks like why is it and could I potentially be missing out of some of the positive benefits by exploring different colors like could I be missing out on some other benefits by you know embracing um, makeup or skincare or different types of hair care but it's not imperative because you may do that and then it might not work for you, but it's about trying. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on the, the kind of beauty front, I mean, it was only, I think a couple of years ago that I got probably the pandemic, like we all did, got a bit more into beauty yeah. and was a bit like, oh my God, I've been missing out. Yeah. <laughs> missing out. Yeah. And I think that's, um, that's sort of how I look at these areas, which I realize that I've sort of neglected slightly. It's like, oh, there's all these beautiful things out there that I sort of, in some ways, almost with beauty, it's easy, I think, if it's not something that you have spent a huge amount of time on to kind of almost dismiss it as like, oh, that's not for me. Mm. But like, why isn't it? for me exactly yeah and it's tricky because obviously the beauty industry has a part to play in really pushing these standards of beauty and these norms which a lot of us don't feel like we fit into so that Mm -hmm. might be a reason why we shy away and we have these products that make us feel like there's something wrong with us as well I just learned about strawberry legs and how to get rid of them and I was like what the hell apparently if you have um, pronounce like dots on your legs which shows like where your hair follicles are that's an issue that you should get rid of and I hate things like that I'd really talk about how you can take time with yourself and really mm. think of beauty and skincare is almost an opportunity to be creative and to go into this flow state as well yeah. um, it's nice to follow tutorials and routines and get inspired but it's more about the process of it like how you're you're not scrolling you're not like worrying about work whatever you're actually taking time to really spend time with yourself get to know the the contours of your face you know get just be at one and having that tactile stimulation as well Mm -hmm. something that we don't often think about when we're doing these processes but the studies show that it actually has a positive impact it releases oxytocin it makes us feel good so just it's like another way of looking at beauty and again it's not to push this push it and make you buy go out and buy a ton of products but just thinking okay how 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 can I benefit from it can I benefit from it is it something that you know I've been missing because I've been thinking about it in just one way Mm. and not looking at the potential benefits of it as well exactly and that's you know very strong throughout the book this idea that it's not about going out and buying things um there is a chapter on shopping and about why we shop which is completely fascinating um and I think as well really acknowledges what we kind of know to be true, but we often try and pretend isn't true. <laughs> um, but actually, you know, 
that you know there's a reason that we might we might shop or over shop or shop when it's not 100% necessary exactly. um and there's so much so much of the book is about acknowledging what we feel um as a consumer mm-hmm. um and not about kind of um forcing us to change our behavior but but even just it's about sort of bringing awareness to our behavior right and yeah. sort of thinking about do I want to keep doing that do I maybe want to do it differently now that I'm aware that I do it yeah, exactly. Because I always say, like, we're not going to stop shopping anytime soon, especially people who are who've been shopping in one way for such a long time. Mm. It's about a lot of convenience, and people don't want to shop different places. Like, I always say, I was talking to Adja Barber, who's just such an amazing woman. She mm. consumes. She's a staunch like sustainable activist. Sometimes I feel bad because there's been times where I still like I get the odd fast fashion piece, and I'm like, no, like you know that meme of Dexter, and he's like, I failed you, like, yeah, I failed you. But then I start to think about, okay, let me look at what what I wrote let me look at these these things I talked about and I think okay now I'm more mindful about what I'm buying for example this top is from Zara it's something I'm 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 trying actively to stop shopping for fast fashion brands but I think I've worn this about 10 times already like I've worn it with different outfits I remember the places I was when I wore them I worked to my niece's seventh birthday so it has Mm. like memories in it um I'm making sure that I'm taking care of it like if I do ever get rid of it I know exactly who it would go to go to one of my friends or have a longer like longevity of life like I'm really trying to just be more mindful and conscious about what I'm doing but I'm no way near like perfect like I think a lot of people shy away from conversations around fashion and things like that because they feel like they are just they're not capable of making all of these big changes but they start simple just starts by asking yourself those little questions and Mm. just sometimes just saying why am I buying this just that one question to ask yourself this and you're like do you know how many things I've left in a basket because I've stopped and asked myself those questions or I've people then it it went out of stock and I was like yeah actually I didn't need that like it's just taking the time to pause and I'm hoping that with the book people get more into that habit of mm. themselves and I think you're absolutely right that the that probably in terms of um our ecological footprint when it comes to fashion mm-hmm. probably the best thing we can do is understand what we like yeah and think very carefully before we make any purchase no matter where it's from obviously there's a whole other layer to why we might choose not to purchase from fast fashion you know for ethical <laughs> reasons that go beyond the environment but yeah. um but um but if we can start first with you know what is it what is it that I want what yeah. is it that would make me feel good what is it that would enable me to wear other things in my wardrobe and yes, um exactly. and make those really deliberate choices um I feel like we could we could just go so far in terms of um reducing our consumption just by asking a few questions without even considering first of all who we're buying from if yeah. that is too big a step for people to make first I know exactly I always say that say you're actively trying to be sustainable and you're shopping at a sustainable brand but you're doing a haul and you're doing like a massive yeah. haul every or you're do, going to um thrift stores and you're doing like a thrift store haul. I hate those videos because it's like you're still not tackling the major issue here which is why do you feel like you need all of those clothes like why are the ones that you have not mm. suitable have why have you not found out how to make something new out of what you're wearing it like why do you need to have all of this stuff do you not understand that having a wardrobe that's overflowing is actually negative. So many studies have talked about how Mm -hmm. having a minimalist wardrobe or having just a minimalist lifestyle in general, how that 
creates more space for like more well-being it has positive cognitive impacts but people don't really recognize this and I think that's yeah like I said that's one of the main points you start thinking about what you're buying then you can move on to the next step and start thinking where you're buying it from and then you can get deeper and deeper and deeper and like for me I started to think about okay who are the really bad guys and I said okay all those bad guys bad guys yeah that's kind of where I started from and I'm still on my journey and that's why I'm hoping if people engage in this book they can come along that journey with me yeah I love that I've got a few absolute no-goes personally and they're also places I don't shop for myself but I will shop for my children and that's something as well, I think is something a little bit left out of the conversation because yeah. my children need new clothes all the time. And I so I cannot know. possibly purchase their clothes from the same place I buy them and I wear yes. them for seven, six, this seven is, years sometimes. Yes, this is the thing I actually was thinking I should have explored because I talk next about, book. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about how I'm a mum tea. So not quite a mom, but more than an auntie to my niece and nephew. And yes, that is something I always think about is what they are constantly growing. And yeah, some of the brands that I kind of try to deter from, I'm having to go there as well. Like, I think that's something I need to do more work in myself as well to explore. I'm sure I can hear Arja's voice in, like, in my head saying, there are, there's this sustainable kids brand out there. You just need to look. Yeah, it um, is. Um, but I think it is really challenging um some first of all we have to buy our children uniforms some of those uniforms have to come from certain places some of them I know there are some sustainable options but they are quite limited and quite expensive um you know one of my children is disabled and has to wear certain fabrics and things Mm. to make him comfortable um he also goes through probably twice as many clothes as other kids because they have to be washed a lot more and so they get worn out quicker and different things and then suddenly it's complicated yeah. You know, and also obviously, you know, we all have complex lives. And so I find it quite easy to shop very deliberately for myself, yourself. but like it's, yeah. it's kind of a whole different thing for my children. So, um, yeah, so it is really, it's a really complex thing, but like you say, it's just all about just starting somewhere. And I know that there's a lot I can do for myself and I can't be perfect overall you know, if no I include perfect. my children in that. Yeah. <laughs> no one's perfect. And I think, yeah, it's not about putting pressure on yourselves, but if yeah. you feel like, okay, I've done all of the introspection, I've thought carefully about this and this is all I have in my capacity to do, then that's the point. But if you are doing it without thinking, then you're more likely yeah. to get into a negative situation. So yeah, that's what my thing is. I hate that when people like to get super chastising on your high horse, yeah. you know, people could come and say something about you and not knowing your situation with your children, but you know, you know, you've done your due diligence and that's like, that's all that matters. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get a bit into the process of writing this book. So, so um, did you, did you decide on your own that you wanted to turn your knowledge into a book or were you approached by somebody else and and was it suggested that you should put a proposal together? Yeah, I got, my DMs got slid into. Yeah. My, oh, <laughs> my very nice. The dream. I know. Please, everybody check your requests. There could be something <laughs> Never know what's in there. Yeah, you know, <laughs> after that, I always check my requests. Like, oh, what could happen? But um. I had no intention of writing a book. A book? No, definitely not. I don't, like I said, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with, oh, sorry. I didn't know what I was going to do with um, fashion psychology. Um, 
it's not something you can go on LinkedIn and or someone you can like really look at and say, okay, this is how they did it. I was lucky actually I interned with Kate Nightingale. She's a mm-hmm. staff psychologist and I saw different ways that she was incorporating it. She was working a lot with brands and looking at their brand identity and how to use psychology in that. She had a few work with clients, which was, it was like half styling, half um almost like self-help and like therapy mm-hmm. that was cool but I still didn't like I never considered myself to be an entrepreneur like or someone that works for themselves like no the thought of that was just very like foreign to me I always saw myself as a, a ladder climber mm-hmm. uh, especially working within a business so when I got that offer I was really thrown back but Lauren sold it to me she was like you have the stuff here already like it's all there um just try it and like I said my first my first um few chapters she was like no honey like it was so boring it was so boring then I tried again and then we sent it out to um publishers and it was like no 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 no. like you know and it's just like they just didn't get it no it was and I get I get why they didn't get it because it was all over the place it Mm -hmm. wasn't clear who it was for was it for brands was it for consumers like what was the message what was the takeaways and it was it was hard it was hard it was like like 20 rejections at one time because she like like collated them all together yeah that was the best (laughs) that's hard harsh that was harsh man like any writers out there know that you get tough after like trying to write a book so then I was like didn't hear from her for a long time and I was like oh my I was like at this point I really wanted it really wanted it and I I wanted to try again like one thing about me is I'm very goal-driven like if there's something I need to get there like I need to figure it out especially like if someone's telling me it's good like okay I want to try even though I didn't think of it as something I was thinking about before but the way Lauren sold it I was like okay so then the pandemic hit and I got furloughed I was homeschooling you know how that was that was mm. really tough like I shout out teachers and yeah that was really hard and um I thought okay let me try this again and then I broke up with the person I was seeing at the time and I was like right now you're just completely like you you have no job the kids went away for some holidays with their dad I was like right you have the time so I just sat down one evening in the living room I got a bunch of post-it notes Mm -hmm. and I wrote up all of the key things about fashion psychology which I thought was interesting all of the blogs that did really well in the past um all the things I've heard like all the good papers that I see people like talking about and I put it all on on um, post-it notes and I thought be funny that was my main thing being funny like being funny is I always say I'm the funny one in the group my friends just roll their eyes but that's something I think would be I just think humor it brings people together like it's just I I just think that that's something that's really able to connect with people the humor so I was like be funny put your humor in there and add all of these bits and then I tried it again and yeah Lauren was like this is it Oh. And then I got the call from Little Brown Piatkas and they were like, we love it, do it now. And I was like, okay. So I had like three chapters written and I was like, sugar, because this was like in August. They were like, we want it by the end of the year, January. So mm-hmm. not very long, like six or so months. Yeah. 
Um, and I was working at the time, I was a marketing manager at an influencer tech company, which I really loved. I was there for three years and I got a chance to really put a lot of my psychological insight into everything I was doing there. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to try it now. I'm going to try being a full-time fashion psychologist author and I quit. I quit because I can't finish it. I quit because I was like, I can't finish Oh my goodness. Because remember, I'm working, doing the blog, doing like ad hoc stuff for my clients, trying to raise these two kids. I have my chronic pain condition as well. And then when I write this book, it was not possible, like something to live. I was almost forced into it. Um, And yeah, that was nerve wracking as hell quit in December I needed an extension because I had a lot of flare-ups with my pain because stress brings it on quite yeah. bad um so my illness actually is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome if anybody mm-hmm. yes so yeah. I'm quite flexible it's like hypermobility but I'm so flexible my muscles are not strong enough to kind of support them and it's like a connective tissue disorder so something I've battled with a long for almost all my life um and it was hard to try to juggle everything so I quit my job I asked for the extension and then I finished I finally submitted in like I think it was February um yeah I'm really glad I had such a supportive manager um Juanita from TGRG thank you so much for your help and my editor as well they were really supportive and understanding Mm. and yeah that's the story it was really crazy to quit I think now looking back because I didn't know how the book was gonna do but I I couldn't do it all um so I tried it and here I am I love this it's so wonderful to hear and not not that I'm saying that every listener should go out and quit their jobs it's it's so similar to the way I have worked generally which is I tend to throw myself all in um and take risks and and often I look back and I think, oh, what was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> but um, but also, you know, incredible because it sort of takes you to your you and your work to a whole another level and sort of exposes you. Has there been anything else about the publishing process that's really surprised you or um um I guess sort of you know reinforced why you made that choice, why your instinct was to kind of choose the book over the over the the um the paid employment the with the, the regular paid employment. Yeah, I think it's tricky because one thing that surprised me was I got a lot of no's after I had written the better proposal because of my social media following. That mm-hmm. really surprised me. I thought you got deals based on your writing I didn't know that nowadays they want you to be super marketable and be able to kind of sell the book with a built-in audience and I had always focused on my blog and my writing and my consultancy and my connections there I kind of let the social aspects slide and that's something I'm still like trying to weigh up because it got all these things going on but you mm. always have to remember you, as a writer I feel like these days you need to keep the content flow going and that is something that is very challenging really um, challenging yeah. yeah so that's something I kind of sh- was a bit worried about then then I came to Piatkus and they really just valued what I was saying mm. um, and they valued my background and my expertise um, and then working with different brands and getting that good feedback like yeah, I think that's something that really helped me. It's, I wish I could say that it was all from my internal belief system and that I just believed in myself. And no, that wasn't it. I had to get the kind of confirmation that there was a possibility that things could work out. And I was lucky that, you know, I was had something built in, especially with Afterpay, and I was going to have that kind of locked in. Um, yeah. 
Yes, yeah, so you had you had yeah, consultancy had lined up and everything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I would never have probably done it if I didn't have that because mm. it's easy to think of someone like doing these big things and you see me on TV, you see me on these things and think, oh, she's so like rich and successful. That's not the case. Like mm. I work really hard and it's still, yeah. especially like after my sister passed and having the responsibility of these two kids, like it's, it's hard to kind of go this route. And mm. it's something I'm still like, like working as working my butt off like as much as I can and trying to support my family and everything like that but um I'm glad I made the decision but it was by no means easy and I would not say like to do that without having that kind of financial security especially in this day and age and I also was like what if we have another pandemic and everyone's just wearing loungewear again who's going to want to be reading about (laughs) I gotta say that was a big thing as well. So it was a bit of a, a bit of a leaf of faith, but I had that assurances and I had the support of my mom and my family as well. Um, and I could not do that without them. Yeah. And so from sort of sort of at the moment where you're at and, and going forward, are you um very committed then to to working for yourself or you um and I mean I know you've got lots of different things going on. Are you gonna keep it that way? Like as in lots of things going on and 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 um running it yourself rather than going back into a full-time position within an organization? This is a very interesting question that if you it, don't know the answer, that's totally fine. <laughs> I feel like it's very tricky. And especially with the climate that we're in, I'm not going to lie and say that it's not something I thought about getting something a bit more solid. I've been asked to do like lecturing and do some yeah. more things. So there's options. Um, but my goal has always been to be like, I want to be like the fashion psychologist. I've already said that. I'm not shy about that. Like I want yeah. to be fashion psychology and think, Shkayla, like I've done a few TV things this year. I have more TV things lined up. Um, so that's, I'm going to try my best to shoot for that goal. Yeah. But I'm by no means beholden to that. If I have to change my situation to do something to support my family or whatever, like I'm very much willing to do it. And I think I'll always keep that fashion psychology part of me alive. Mm. But now I have the book. I'm just happy that okay I have something that can live on kind of in yeah forever and I've like done that so I'm if I do have to take a step back or do something else at least I have I have the legacy I always say everything I know it's in this book (laughs) everything so if you want to know anything about it if I'm not continuing to do my talks or podcasts whatever it's there you have it there and speaking of which you do have a new podcast starting soon won't you I will put um I will put any details I have any links that you that you have in in the show notes I think when this episode comes out should be I think quite soon to when your podcast is coming out so I'll make sure I include those links I'm very excited about this podcast um and then also because you know as you mentioned you are helping to raise your your sister's children um so you're parenting um and you're obviously managing you know your own health condition as well I mean there's there's um I'm sure there'll be a lot of listeners thinking you know how you have achieved so much with Mm -hmm. so much on your plate Mm -hmm. you know what like it's so funny because like yesterday literally yesterday was a bad day like I was very stressed I had tons of people asking me for things um I'm my nephew's about to be going into secondary school I'm Mm. trying to get a bunch of information together that I cannot find through my sister's old system. I don't know what she, I don't know where some stuff is trying to put all that together, trying to do work. My, I'm trying to get back into the gym and be healthy, but having a lot of like um, body pain, like it was so bad. But if you look on my social media, if you look, I'm doing, you would think like, oh, she's doing it all. 
that's a lie. And I want people to know that I don't think anybody's doing it all. Like, I really don't think that. Like, I'm trying my best, which was what everyone is, I think everyone's doing is just trying your best and figuring it out. Um, I even don't even subscribe to the say yes to everything mantra that I had starting out because that is a surefire way to get burnt out mm. um I'm lucky that I actually I decided when I quit my job that I need to get a manager that's one of the smartest things mm. I, I ever decided mm-hmm. to do because I'm like I'm always trying to help everyone and be like yeah okay I'll do this I'll do this I'll do this and she comes in and she's like no you can't do this and you can't do that and I think sometimes when you're not able to advocate for yourself the smartest thing you can do is get someone who can who can advocate for you who can negotiate and yeah such great advice I mean I have I have had, you know, a couple of different agents over the time, both as a photographer and now as a, as a um, writer. And mm-hmm. I just, they're worth their everything, every bit of money that they can earn from me. They're so worth it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would say like, yeah, percentage because she's even more than my agent. I think she's become almost like this maternal figure. Like she's just so supportive and I can tell her, like, I think I'm pushing my body to the limit and she'll take that on board. Um, and one thing I'm really trying to do is be really transparent as well with the people I'm working with. Mm. I used to not talk about my family situation or talk about my pain because I felt like that I was already coming in doing this super niche random thing that they might not think is useful. And then on top of that, I'm saying like, oh, I need a bit more time because of X, Y, and Z. But now I'm like, you know, what? in order to give the best version of myself, I need to give people the opportunity to understand the full scale of the situation so they can do their best to support me. And mm. in that way, we can come up with something that's probably even better than if I had just rushed it and like not told them what was going on they're unhappy I'm unhappy like that's not that's not conducive I think to a supportive working environment so I always say like if you if you do feel comfortable let people in and most of the times you'll find that people are very supportive that's such amazing advice and you know similarly for years I didn't mention to well first of all when I was a photographer I didn't tell any clients I was pregnant they found out when I showed up partly because um you know photography generally photographer is quite a masculine role Mm -hmm. um even if a lot of the time I was working with women I generally had the more masculine role traditionally masculine masculine role should we say Mm -hmm. and I knew that I would lose work if people thought I couldn't handle the work physically and then for years as well, when my children were young, if I couldn't make it work with childcare, I would tell them I was booked to work with someone else. I wouldn't tell them it was a childcare problem. Um, and it, t- it took me years to actually decide to be honest because mm. I felt like also by me doing that, I was not necessarily, I was sort of also slightly hindering other women in the industry by not being honest about the challenges yeah. of being yeah. a working parent and especially a working parent to a disabled child who needs very particular kind of care that isn't easily available. So, um, but yeah, it takes, takes years and it's not never not everyone's ready to be feel safe to be honest um and so it can take time but it is really great when you can when you get to that place where you feel like you're able to safely be honest about your situation I agree I didn't even think about what you said about um making it harder maybe for other women as well by us not talking about it it's so hard because I think, yeah, you can just be so wrapped up in your own situation. And it's not as if a lot of these environments or these systems make it easy for us to be talking Mm -hmm. about these things, but it does take a few of us to be open and honest for things to change as well. 
um, I did that as well. Like if I had an issue with like the school or some pickup or an extracurricular activity I had to go to, I'd be like, yeah, I'm working or something like yeah. that. And I think, yeah, it took me a while to start to change and be open about my situation, especially because at a point is I didn't feel like I was, I don't know. It's very hard when you're kind of thrown into motherhood. Yes. I don't know yeah, you very much what were, the hell yeah. I'm doing and if I'm doing too much if I'm not doing enough like what what is going on like it was really hard as well like figuring out my position too so I had that going on as well but I'm trying to be I I put a lot of myself in the book which I did not intend to I actually my editors were like you need to where's more of you your story um especially when you come from academia you're told like yes do not matter the facts matter the statistics matter that's what matters um so I feel like this book has really even changed the way I approach work and the way I approach a lot of different things because I'm very vulnerable um, and I hope to encourage other people to be more open and vulnerable as well about their situations. Well, I think that's that really comes across very strongly in the book, this idea, you know, you, um, um, I, and I, I don't know if you, um, you know, coming into parenthood the way that you have yeah. has um has made you ever feel what you read something you think well that doesn't really apply to our particular family because mm. our family's more complex and you know that's always something I often feel and sometimes when I read um books about quite big ideas I sort of think okay well that's sort of okay for them in their particular situation to talk about but I think very much in this because you're quite honest about you know being a black woman and being a parent to your niece and um niece and nephew is it niece mm-hmm. and nephew mm-hmm. um and losing your sister and um um, and all these different aspects, and of course your your chronic condition as well. Um, so when when we're reading about you know from your perspective this this idea about um, body image and stuff, I, it's it's really encouraging to read how you come to that topic from your very unique perspective as well. Yeah, I think yeah, I wanted to really get the intersectionality across in this book, and I think. Um, yeah, being a minority woman, disabled as well. Like, yeah, like there's a lot of different things going on. And it's easy to kind of just put one one aspect of yourself out there. And that's one thing I talk about in the book. Like, I don't like that whole thing about having a signature style or like committing to one look because that doesn't reflect the multifaceted nature yeah. that we are. Sometimes I want to dress like someone's auntie. Sometimes I want to just like sexy, like out there. Like yeah. sometimes I want to look super creative. Sometimes I want to step into my femininity. Sometimes I want to be a bit more masculine. Like, and we should be able to utilize like our clothes as well to help us to lean into this these different aspects of our identity but understanding that a lot of these concepts they happen within restrictions so I don't want to be like you can do whatever you want like be free not realizing that sometimes people have different yeah body image issues that stops them from doing that conditions Mm -hmm. that stops them from wearing what they want um social and cultural restrictions that stop them from doing that so I really wanted to kind of talk about how these limitations impact us as well but how where we are able to kind of push those boundaries maybe slightly um and how we can best utilize our clothes to help us lean into these identities within these boundaries like I did want to be respectful of every different situation that people Mm. might find themselves in and I hope I was able to speak to enough voices and include enough research from different sources to be able to make it as inclusive as possible 
Yeah. Well, I could talk to you for hours about this. It's so <laughs> completely fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a joy to dig into this. I'm sure so many people will have found this conversation incredibly helpful from a writing point of, point of view, but also I'm sure there'll be people running out immediately to buy the book because it is <laughs> fascinating and um, and everyone will enjoy it. Um, I will put some links into the show notes about the best places to find you, your new podcast. Do you have a name for the podcast yet? Yeah, it's just called Big Just Energy, the podcast. excellent Excellent. nice and easy um thank you so much for being with me today oh thank you for having me penny this has been such a lovely conversation like yeah i feel like i want to talk to you more but we'll save that maybe for next time (laughs) next time